Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, welcome back to uh, Chris French Studios. Uh, mm -hmm. We are uh, here for another session of Does God Exist with John Clayton. Um, as you have seen, if you have been with us over these past 13 weeks, um, that um, he covers a wide variety of topics and he has um, many left to go, over 20 uh, left to go, uh, to talk to us about uh, how we can have confidence in what we read in the Bible as being true by, con by considering um, science and what science does for us and how it supports the Bible rather than uh, refutes it. Um, today he's going to talk about um, some other um, paranormal um, issues that have come up uh, over time and and he deals with those and then we'll come back and talk a little bit about um, one particular instance that has occurred recently uh, regarding demonology and then I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that list of subjects it's a black um, a black screen a blue screen with a black uh, chart on it about all the subjects which I think he talked about last time as well that involve this paranormal, uh, the things of the paranormal that he will talk about, and I just I will just list these for you a little more slowly because he doesn't give you really a chance to read through all of those, and we'll talk about some other uh, phenomenon uh, afterward. So here we go. Welcome to the Does God Exist program. This is presentation number 14. The Paranormal. Scientific Evidence. I'm assuming you watched the previous program in which we looked at the paranormal from a definition standpoint. Paranormal is experiences that lie outside the range of normal experience or scientific explanation. One of the things that we immediately run into in this process is the fact that when you give that definition you have to realize that it's extremely broad and includes belief in God. God is not something that can be experienced in a scientific explanation. We have and can offer scientific evidence to support this basic concepts of God just as we can in exploring things related to quantum mechanics. But we don't put God in the realm of science. And we do put quantum mechanics in the realm of science. And the difficulty in this is understanding what is considered to be natural. Generally speaking, and you can look at this list again and notice the wide range, most of the things, if not all of them in this list, are things that would not be considered to be scientific in nature. Now, somebody might argue about ectoplasm or ESP or uh, something of this type. But the fact of the matter is it covers a very wide range. So we spent most of the last presentation talking about the concepts involved in biblically approaching this question. We're not 
offering a broad statement that says anything that is outside the realm of natural experience or science is automatically wrong. It doesn't exist. It's a fraud. It's a scam. Because faith in God would be included in that, obviously, as well as a number of other areas. But we spent a great deal of time talking about the fact that from a biblical perspective, first of all, anything that is in the realm of the paranormal in the sense of sorcery or things connected with demons or all of these other forces that would be in contradiction to the biblical perspective are condemned. They're condemned in the Old Testament and they are taught against in the New Testament. And we tried to indicate to you in the process of this discussion that there are some pretty good reasons for this being said to Christians. We are told not to put our faith in things other than God. And I think in our society today, those who have discarded God very frequently get caught up in something that is also outside the realm of science and normal everyday life. We also have a question of how we're going to use our energy. What are we, what are we going to devote ourselves to? And who are we associating with? Because many times people that are involved in some of the more esoteric types of endeavors are things and people that we have to be rather careful about. So the question is, are these things real? And we looked at three positions. That they were real and are real today, that they were in the past but they're not today, that the whole thing is a scam or some combination of those. And we tried to look at this from a biblical perspective and saw that the Bible very clearly presents the notion that man is a free moral agent, that we choose between good and evil, that our purpose in existing is connected with the struggle between good and evil, and anything that interferes with that, anything that offers an alternative to that, is something that we should avoid. We also tried to look at the fact that there are some good, solid Christian principles involved and why we should not be involved in things like witchcraft, things like ghost, things that roll in that realm of the paranormal. Number one being that we are told to work out our own salvation. We are told that God will offer an escape for things that come in our lives beyond that which we can endure. We are told that all things work to the good of them that love the Lord. We are told that Jesus came to destroy satanic force on the earth. And we are told that Jesus was tempted in every way as are we. All of these things are inconsistent with the view that these are a part of our real world today. We also know that the Bible tells us that there have always been scams. There have always been fakes. Sometimes God has used these in interesting ways, like the Witch of Endor. But the fact of the matter is that having people who try to make money on things like this is not new. So what we're suggesting in this presentation is that we need to look at scientific tools, things and ways that all of us can use to approach whatever is presented to us to determine whether it's true or not. And we're going to take some very specific examples in this discussion. This is something we are encouraged biblically to do. 1 John 4 verse 1 says, Do not trust every spirit. We can't trust every spirit. There are views and positions and alternatives offered to God that cannot be trusted and should not be endeavored in. 
And again, that same passage comes back and says, you know, we really need to focus on what Christ has for us and how to live in the way that Christ told us to live. We're also told that there is prediction made about our time. In 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1, we're told that the time will come when the people will desert the faith. And notice this description, because they continuously give their attention to deceiving spirits and demonic teachings. There are people like that. And we all are affected by this. I mean, you go through the grocery store and the tabloids have always got something weird in them that are connected with that particular kind of an area. So what can we do scientifically to investigate these kind of phenomena? I want to take a couple of examples, things that I've actually been involved in, things that I have kept up with over the years. We won't have time to do everything out there. Obviously, there are new fakes, new scams, new claims being made all the time. But historically, there are some things that we can investigate that will give us some principles. One of the most interesting of these happened back in the 20th century. There was a man by the name of Eric von Doniken who wrote a book called Chariot of the Gods. It became part of a TV series in which he proposed that there was a connection between the Bible and a Star Wars type of theme. The idea was that eons ago there was a war out in space and one group of aliens beat another group of aliens and the whipped group came through our galaxy went by the earth, saw the Australopithecines running around down here, and one alien said to the other alien, let us create man in our own image after our own likeness. <laughs> Ever hear that before? Well, of course, it's a quote of the Genesis account. And the claim is that what is being said here is that it's an alien talking to another alien, not God talking to the Godhead. Okay, well, that, that could be just blown off as one of those, you know, freaky things, freaky claims, tabloid-type claims that are made. And perhaps it should have. But what was interesting here was that Vandonikin offered a number of scientific proofs. And as we look at these, I think it will help us get some idea about how we approach these questions and how they apply to the things that we see today. Von Donneken's material is no longer considered relevant, but the approach is what's important. Let me take you through a little of this historically. One of the things Von Donneken did was that he, he looked for evidence of the visitation. He offers all kinds of evidence of alien airports. So this picture, for instance, is supposed to be a place where they parked the spacecraft back in the back, and the front part was supposed to be a heliport. Near this, there are what he called runways. And he made the comparison between the Vandenberg Air Force Base areas in California where the space shuttle landed and what you see here. The idea was that the spacecraft landed at the bottom of the picture and taxied up to the top. Not far away, there were cross runways, which he said were ways in which the spacecraft could go different ways depending upon the wind. Near these landing there were supposed to be pictures on the ground to help navigate and find the runways. Now, right away, we have to raise a question here. If you suggest these are aliens that have traveled all over the galaxy, they're obviously highly technological people. Why would they need a large hummingbird on the ground to locate their runways? Have they never heard of radar? 
But it's important to understand that those kinds of questions don't seem to come up in people's mind. And, and when you test things, as the Bible tells us to do, one of the questions that has to be raised is, is the claim being made valid? Is this drawing of a hummingbird something that aliens put on the ground? Van Donneken claims you can't do this from the ground. You have to be up in space to be able to make such a huge picture. And the beauty and the precision of it demands people with highly technological training. There are other areas, this enormous spider. And again, the idea is that this is impossible to draw from the ground, that this highly intricate pattern must have been done by aliens. He calls our attention to pictures of, of humanoids carrying clubs, candelabras, one of the things that has happened in recent years has been the claim of crop circles, like this one. And the idea is that the ground has been influenced in some way by processes unknown to us that have produced a phenomena that could not have occurred naturally and could not be a part of the normal things that we see. Are there pictures on the ground that could not have been done by people who were living at the time? Von Däniken goes to things like the Bible. I've heard people say the Bible's been used for everything you can imagine and a few things you can't imagine, and this is one of those kinds of situations. He quotes Ezekiel, the first chapter, and uh, this is his quotation. I looked and I saw a cloud-like thing with light all around. Well, that sounds like a UFO a little bit. In it, there were four living creatures. Okay, we got aliens. The things were like wheels, flying saucer, and fire came from within it rocket exhaust and everywhere the thing went the creatures went so Vandonikin says obviously biblical people saw aliens landing and taking off in spacecraft stories like the missing continent of Atlantis are used by Vandonikin and by people since that time the idea is that there was a civilization that was highly technological and Vandonikin suggests that what happens is that they built this beautiful technological culture and then their aliens found them and blasted them away and that's what happened to the missing continent of Atlantis. It goes to things like the pyramids. And pyramids have been used to support all kinds of claims, all kinds of witchcraft claims, all kinds of ghost claims. And the idea is that these huge structures were constructed by people from outer space, that they could not have been done by people who lived upon the earth. But Donica makes the claim that there's no way that people with the technology of the Egyptians should have put these large stones in place. He points out that if you multiply the circumference of the largest pyramid by the altitude, the number you get is exactly the distance to the moon. He says there is no way that the Egyptians knew where the moon was, so it must have been done by the aliens who did know where the moon was. He refers to pictures like the one on the right-hand side here of a statue in Tassili. And he says, it looks like an astronaut, so it must have been aliens. In the upper left-hand corner, he refers to what he says are space helmets, not halos. And he goes to things like Medicine Hat, Wyoming, or Stonehenge. And he says, now obviously these are observatories, which incidentally may very well be the case. He says they were observatories constructed by aliens who set them up in ways that were unknown to the people at the time. All right, now there's, there's a testable statement. Did the people who lived at the time of Stonehenge, the people that lived at the time of Medicine Hat, have enough knowledge to make an observatory? In this particular case, which is Medicine Hat, 
If you put a pole in the center of this wheel on the equinox, the shadow of the pole lands in the little house down here at the bottom. So the Indians did know about solstices and equinoxes. So now we have a reason to question the veracity of what von Donnegan says. And in modern times, claims like this are made over and over and over that are clearly not valid. When people talk about constellations and they say, oh, these aliens that live in a different galaxy, they know where the Big Dipper is. That's not possible. The Big Dipper is an asterism in our own galaxy. It would not be present in another galaxy. Those are the kinds of questions that need to be asked. And there are places all over the world where people have constructed observatories, some of them able to predict when the equinoxes, when the solstices were to take place. So when the slit in the rock throws the sun's image upon this diagram, this is in New Mexico, and it is time to plant the corn. But then it can go to places like Easter Island. And he sort of uses a God of the Gaps thing here. He says, well, these huge statues that are present on Easter Island could not possibly have been put there by the people who lived there at the time. They did not have the technology or the machines to be able to do it. And that's an interesting claim. It's one we can test. And they are amazing. This is a cartoon that has appeared in some of the journals connected with this. The alien is talking to the parent spacecraft and explaining the statues on Easter Island by saying, and we've left licenses of ourselves so no one will question our ever having been here. So there's in the cartoon form the claim. Can you imagine the weight and the difficulty of moving something like this? Can this be done by ancient people with ancient machines? And is there evidence that aliens did it by devices that we do not have knowledge of today? Well, the interesting thing about this is that this kind of claim can be tested. And as a matter of fact, uh, sometimes <laughs> it becomes extremely obvious. Way back in 1976, Johnny Hart in the comic strip BC gave an explanation that I always thought was classic. B.C. comes along one day and he sees a big rock up on top of a hill. He looks over the cliff and down on the bottom he sees some more rocks, just like the ones on top. So B.C. has a really neat idea. He goes over to the rock on the top of the hill and he carves a face on it. He shinnies down a rope, he goes over to the rock on the bottom of the hill and he carves an identical face on the rock at the bottom of the hill. And his buddy comes along and says, what is this? And B.C. says, a million years from now they'll blow their brains trying to figure out how we got the big dude up on the cliff. Well, the, the point is, many times claims like this have very simple explanations. And that's the point of this cartoon. There's a, a thing called Oxium's Razor, and it, it points out the idea that, that if it's a, the simplest explanation, it's usually probably the right one. And this is a much more reasonable suggestion than suggesting that somehow people carried rocks up from the bottom up to the top. So scientifically, let's test this. By the way, there's a wonderful book that was put out over 50 years ago called Aku Aku, The Secret of Easter Island by Thor Heyerdahl. You might recognize his name. He's the guy that sailed the Kantiki expedition. And what he did was to point out the circumstances on Easter Island and how the statues were most probably carved, transported, and erected. First of all, Easter Island is a granitic batholith. It's a place where intrusive volcanic rock has been pushed slowly up to the surface. So there are quarries on the island where this intrusive rock has been quarried. 
So we know where the statues came from, and some unfinished statues have been found in the quarry. Were the statues carried up the hill or downhill? The quarries are uphill. It's a lot easier to move a rock down a hill than it is up a hill. So there's an easy explanation. All you have to do is to put the object, in this case the statue, on a sled, put a lubricant under it. In this case, bentonite is available on the island. Bentonite is a very slippery volcanic clay. And you can slide the statue down to where you want to place it. You can then use very simple first-class levers to lift the statue and wedge rocks under it. Now, you might say, well, that's an honest mistake. Von Däniken just didn't know about that. Well, he quotes from this book. I suggest to you this has all the earmarks of scam. And the important thing here is that science gives us an indication of whether the claim is right or not. So if someone makes a proposal about the paranormal, we need to test every spirit. Uh, let, let's look at a few of the other things that are connected with the situation with Von Däniken. How about the pyramids? Well, the first point that needs to be made is that you don't build a pyramid in your backyard without your neighbor seeing it. There are written records of how the pyramids were constructed. And it's important to understand that one of the things we know from those written records is that the pyramids did not look when they were constructed the way they look today. They were faced with white marble. Now, let me point out something to you. If they were faced with white marble, they were bigger at that time than they are today. What does that do to your calculation of multiplying the perimeter times the altitude and getting the distance to the moon and to the sun? And the point, of course, is that it blows it to pieces, doesn't it? And in today, there's at least one pyramid where you can still see the white marble. Apparently, it was too difficult to get all the white marble off. Many Muslim mosques have been made with the rock stripped from the pyramids. We know how the pyramids were erected. We know that ramps were used in ancient times. When the Romans invaded Masada, they used ramps, or if you wish, inclined planes, to get into the city. And construction of obelisks and of things of that nature is well documented in archaeology. There is no necessity, there is no need to invent some kind of alien to accomplish what we see. Many times UFO claims are in that category. Sometimes it's just not a matter of not reading the manuscript. Let's take the one where he claimed that Ezekiel had seen a UFO. If you read on in Ezekiel, you'll see answers. And if you just read the actual writing, you'll see an answer. Notice what Ezekiel 1.1 actually says. Now, it came to pass in the 30th year of the fourth month, and the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river of Shebar, that the heavens were open. And notice, I saw visions. Visions. The author doesn't say he saw something that actually happened. He saw a vision. If you go over to the 10th and 11th chapter, there's an explanation of what he saw. There's an explanation of the vision and what the vision represents. So it's important when claims are made to see what the context is of the people being quoted. And can people make drawings on the ground without being in outer space to do it. Well, this one's pretty obvious, isn't it? But it's important to understand that studies of, for instance, the pictures in Nazca have been done by people who have spent their whole lifetime there. This study is from Scientific American, an anthropologist who has been there for many, many years, 
and who has studied how the constructions were made. This killer whale was made as a way of appeasing the gods. The Indians have a concept of God that says God is up in the clouds and they wanted to make pictures to please the gods. So if you're going to have a God in the cloud to appease the God, you need to make the pictures big. And so they made these huge drawings and much evidence has been found to support that. There are places in the world even today, this one's in Southern California where people do the same thing. And in modern times, things like crop circles have been in the same area. There's an interesting story with this picture, which is near Northampton in England. I was there about the time all this was going on. The two old boys in the bottom picture decided to play a joke on the, one of their farmer friends. So they went out in his field and made the circles you see at the top with a wire sight and a plank, thinking that when their friend found this, he would come up with some kooky story and they could disprove him. The problem was, as I understand the story, that a plane load of American tourists went by above, flying over this area, saw the crop circles, landed at the local airport, paid somebody to take them out, paid the guy to show them the crop circles, had to stay in the hotel that night, had to eat in the hotel that night. Well, the village fathers see all this money flowing and they say, well, we can fix this. So they hire some teenagers to make some more crop circles. And the point is, when I was there, I, I, I did a series of lectures in Northampton and the most common question I got was, are all Americans really this dumb? <laughs> and I had to say, we are all pretty prone to grabbing at things without carefully investigating them. We make some pretty silly mistakes. And there are many other examples that could be given of this principle. Let's look at this picture. This is on Mars. Is it a face? How would you investigate? Well, it's obvious in this picture that the sun is to the upper left because the shadow is to the right. So let's look at it at a different time of day. And if you look at it at a different time of day, there's the picture on the left. picture on the right is the same place, but with the sun at a different angle. And here it is with the sun directly behind you. It's pretty obvious this is just an interesting shadow, very much like seeing shadows in the clouds. Well, can people <coughs> on the Earth make beautiful works of art without being in space? Look at this one. This is a whole section of land. A farmer sitting on his tractor drew this, planting different crops, wheat, corn, soybeans, alfalfa, and so forth. Here's another one of his pictures. You know, it's kind of amazing. I can't draw a straight line with a ruler, but some people have artistic ability that is remarkable. And this guy has done some incredible things on the ground, just with his personal perception. So, again, I come back to the point that it is possible for us to be able to investigate claims scientifically. Look at the history. Look at what has taken place in the cultures of the time in which it is written. In our next presentation, what we want to do is to look at some more examples of this, getting specifically down to things like ghosts. But I hope this discussion of Eric von Donneken's material has given you some idea of how tools can be used, how scientifically we can test paranormal claims. And I'll tell you some other examples like this in our next presentation.
interesting stuff there. Um, you know, in the book of Genesis, <clears throat> where the account of God creating um, all the worlds and uh, and our earth in particular, um, he he sets things in order. He sets up day and night and seasons and, and all of all of these things that we have come to expect um, as normal, and we call we call that the natural order. Um, seasons occur. We know that uh, between what June and November, we're going to have hurricanes on the on the Gulf Coast uh, or the East Coast. Uh, natural phenomena occur all over our world and we are able to plan our lives around those things and we come to expect certain things to happen if i dropped this pin i release this pin it would go to the floor we expect that because we know that gravity exists and and we can explain gravity from a scientific standpoint so when god set up how things were going to work on on our planet um, he set them up with with uh, rules and regulations and uh, uh, order that we could expect uh, on a on a regular basis. <clears throat> what uh, Clayton is talking about here uh, seems to be an interruption of that natural order. We had that during the Old Testament. We had that during the New Testament. The interruption of the natural order when. Um, miracles took place when people came back from the dead when uh, waters parted uh, and people were able to walk across on dry land uh, when uh, a person blind from birth uh, was healed um, numerous examples we could point to both in the Old Testament and the New Testament where the natural order was interrupted because God was intervening for a specific purpose to get the attention of people. Even people at that time had expectations that the natural order would move along as expected until something extraordinary was inserted. And so God used miracles through Jesus and through uh, the apostles uh, and even early Christians later on, uh, later uh, in, the, in the first century there, to get the people's attention. It was an attention getter. Yes, it demonstrated a power, but the initial re, uh, response was, wow, that's different. I've never seen that happen before. And so then you say, well, how in the world are they able to do that? And they start talking to tell you, and then they tell you that the power that they have to do that is the same source for the words that they are going to now deliver to them, which is the gospel message um, and the apostles' uh, doctrine. So, um, to me, it, it, it all makes sense. What he is talking about here is our penchant, our tendency to assign meaning to things that n what are natural occurrences rather than unnatural or supranatural or supernatural um, situations that these are sometimes signals uh, from God that or or it's aliens who have come and visited our world 
um, you know, at a time in our past when uh, we didn't know or before we existed or, or whatever the case might be. So people will come up from time to time with these notions about um, the supernatural, um, the paranormal, as he calls it. And supernatural, if you ask me, is just another word for paranormal. It's outside of our normal uh, explanation for things. It's above and beyond what we expect with the natural order. And as he points out in 1 John 4, says, uh, don't trust every spirit that comes your way. Test the spirits to make sure that they are from God, and that they are what they seem to be. And then 1 Timothy 4, 1 uh, says that there will come a time uh, where people will follow after these types of uh, teachings that claim some sort of existence external to this world, maybe even using God as their source, and that we should test them as well, that we should not be deceived by these, these spirits because their motives are, are, are not good. So, to me, an, an overarching um, lesson that I get from what he is telling us is be a skeptic. When you see something uh, from the news or something that someone is teaching that um, hints at the supernatural occurring, be skeptical. Ask for proof. As he's saying, we ought to be able to to verify that these actually did happen or else uh, it just becomes one person's opinion or one person's testimony of something that occurred that uh, the rest of us weren't allowed to experience so that we could have the same kind of confidence in that that they do. Um, just recently, uh, on October uh, 17th, there was a... Um, he didn't talk about uh, demons, casting out demons. He's going to talk about demons uh, two, two lessons, two lessons down, down the road. He'll get back <clears> into some. He talk, mentioned them a little bit last week, and he'll talk more about them in a couple lessons down the road. And I could have saved this, but since it was so current, I decided to, uh, to pull it off and, and let you know about it. Roman Catholic Archbishop performed an exorcism in Northern California on Saturday morning at the site where racial injustice protesters toppled a statue of 18th century Spanish missionary uh, Junipero Serra days earlier. Um, says, unlike in movies, real exorcisms are often solemn church rituals like uh, the one they had on Saturday, which was intended to drive out evil and defend uh, Sarah's reputation. Sarah apparently was canonized by Pope Francis in 2015 and is known as the father of the California uh, mission uh, system. Um, evidently, uh, the racial injustice protesters were upset because the, uh, the story is that uh, in his attempt to bring Christianity to the western part of the United States, he forced Native Americans to give up their culture and fa or face brutal, brutal punishment. There are Sarah statues in Los Angeles and Sacramento, and those also have been vandalized by protesters. Um, but one of the things that I thought was kind of interesting was this, this final statement here. Uh, Cor de Leon uh, was the Roman Catholic archbishop who performed the uh, exorcism, and he did it <clears throat> in Latin, and he says, the experts in the field, whoever those are, tell me that Latin tends to be more effective against the devil because he doesn't like the language of the church. 
And Chris and I was saying, were thinking, well, I don't think the language of the church was Latin in the first century. And so we looked it up, and what did we find? It's like the fourth century. It's like the fourth century. Uh, the Roman Empire was, was powerful up through, I think, somewhere around 600 um, A.D. And so the, the Catholic Church and its development um, from mm, probably, what, second century, somewhere around in there, uh, up to there, adopted Latin as its official church language. And it was only as recent as was it 1500s when the you know, the printing press and mm -hmm. and the, and the, they allowed the bible to be uh, translated into uh, a language other than latin they really didn't like doing that and either. they really didn't like <laughs> doing that but it is nice to know that that satan does not like uh does not like latin don't know what he has don't know what he has against <clears throat> against rome uh this is that um that chart and he he left it on there a little bit longer than than i had thought but um, it's the supernatural, poltergeists, psychokinesis, being able to manipulate something with your mind like bending a spoon uh, that Yuri Geller used to do. Reincarnation was one that he hasn't touched on. Uh, he mentioned it, I think, last week. Clairvoyance, looking into the future, shadow people, don't know what that is. Spirit photography, where some you take a picture of something and then something else Photobomb, a spirit photobomb, <laughs> photobombs you uh, from behind. Uh, the occult spirits, ESP, UFOs, parapsychology, the use of mediums to bring back spirits, demons, miracles, hauntings, psychic, cryptids, don't know what those those are, magic, ghosts, Ouija boards. Anybody ever played with a Ouija board and, and let it tell you something that you subconsciously were thinking or consciously thinking? Aura. Uh, exorcism, ectoplasm, and afterlife. So that's that's a that's a broad spectrum of this phenomenon that he's talking about here, that an awful lot of people place uh, credence in and believe in. Um, if they don't, if they don't believe in them wholeheartedly, they're at least wondering about them and thinking, well, maybe there is something to all of this. Do you want to insert anything here? No, I, it's like uh, reading the tabloids, you know, just watching this stuff. is kind of amazing. We we try to find the most difficult explanation possible and attribute this stuff to aliens. Yep. And we have trouble believing that God wrote the Bible. It seems ironic. That's right. One of the things that he mentioned uh, in his question list, um, it says, what natural, number six, what natural or man-made things can cause a person to sincerely believe they saw a UFO? Answer. Eye fatigue, especially in colors, meteorites and boloids, searchlights, experimental aircraft, balloons, background problems, clouds, planets, comets, atmospheric changes, kites, etc. There are a lot of reasons why people think they might see something out of the ordinary when it is something absolutely ordinary. The last thing I wanted to uh, talk about and share with you uh, was a spinoff of, of what he has started here. When people um, see things in um, natural phenomenon that they attach some sort of spiritual significance to, um, there's a there's a whole there's a Greek word named for that, and it's uh, I had to write out the uh, pronunciation akiropoeta, and it is uh, our Christian icons which are said to have come into existence miraculously, and they are not created by humans. 
says invariably these images are either of Jesus or the Virgin Mary. The most notable examples are credited by tradition among the faithful are in the Eastern Church, the Mandalion, also known as the image of Odessa, Hodegetria, depending on the version of the origin, origin stories followed, and many versions both painted by human painters of Jesus or Mary while alive. And I told Chris, I, I wish somebody had just sketched out a picture of Jesus, uh, you know, in the first century and, and stuck it in their pocket and and uh, we find it, you know, centuries later. It'd be mm -hmm. nice to know. From all we can tell, and he and I were talking before we began, uh, he doesn't look anything like, uh, didn't look anything like, most likely, the pictures that we have of him. Um, Isaiah 53 says, um, there's nothing special to look at. And the and the pictures I've seen of Jesus, he's a good-looking dude. Yeah. He's a good-looking dude. He certainly wouldn't have been white with long, brown, flowing yeah. locks. It's not historically accurate. <laughs> and several Russian icons, and in the West, the Shroud of Turin, uh, Veil of Veronica, Our Lady of Guadalupe, and the Man Manapello image. The term is also used of icons that are regarded as normal human copies of a miraculously created archi uh, original archetype. Um, although the most famous Archairo Poeta uh, today are mostly icons in paint on wood panel. They exist with other media as well, mosaics, painted tiles, etc., etc. Some Christian examples. Um, the Virgin Mary accounts for a substantial number of uh, sightings of this type. A typical example is the Clearwater Virgin, where an image of Mary was reported to have appeared in the glass facade of a financial building in Clearwater, Florida. Um, and they had a picture, this was from Wikipedia, they had a picture of that, and it was... It was a multi-multi-colored uh, kind of reflection on a reflect uh, re on a reflective uh, glass on the front of the building, um, and attracted widespread attention. The building drew an estimated one million visitors over the next several years, um, and was purchased uh, ultimately by an Ohio Catholic revivalism group. A local chemist examined the windows and suggested the stain was produced by water deposits combining with weathering, yielding a chemical reaction that often uh, is often seen on old bottles, uh, perhaps due to the action of the water um, water sprinkler. On March 1st, 2004, three uppermost panes of the window were broken by a vandal. Other examples of Marian uh, Mary. Apparitions of this type <clears throat> that have received substantial press coverage include a fence in Australia uh, in 2003, a hospital in Milton, Massachusetts 2003, a felled tree in Passaic, New Jersey 2003. Mary was real active in 2003. <laughs> Images of the Virgin have also been reported on a rock in Ghana, an underpass in Chicago, a lump of firewood in Janesville, Wisconsin, a chocolate factory in Fountain Valley, uh, California, and a pizza pan in Houston, Texas. I think I remember the pizza pan. I think I do too. A grilled cheese sandwich. Definitely remember that one. A pretzel <laughs> and a pebble <laughs> said to resemble images of the Virgin Mary have been offered for sale on the internet auction sites. Uh, the former being purchased by the internet casino GoldenPalace.com, uh, which is known for its publicity stunts. Uh, another image regularly reported is that of Jesus 
himself. Sightings of this type have been reported in such varied media as cloud photos. Who hasn't looked up at clouds with a, a brother or sister or a parent and said, let's see if we can see an image in the cloud. Uh -huh. Oh, well, look, that one looks like such and such, a dog, you know, uh, chasing a ball or something. Uh -huh. And then, uh, look quick, uh, now it's gone, it changes. So, cloud photos, Jesus has appeared in those. Marmite, it's capitalized, I don't know what that is. Chapatis, I was going to look these up during the, uh, during the thing, I forgot to look at shadows. Cheetos, Cheetos, <laughs> tortillas, trees. This is a unique one. Dental x-rays, cooking utensils, windows, rocks and stones, painted and plastered walls. And Chris said he had heard this one. I don't think I had seen this one in a dog's hindquarter. I think it was a corgi, <laughs> something like that. Corgi. Again, some of these items have been offered for sale on internet auction sites. A number have been bought by the Golden Palace Casino. Uh, various other things. Here's one. One controversial incident received considerable publicity was when the face of Mother Teresa was claimed to have been identified in a cinnamon bun um, at Bongo uh, Java in Nashville, Tennessee, in 1996, dubbed the Nun Bun. <laughs> it's catchy. <laughs> it is catchy. Uh, by the press, it was turned into an enterprise by the company selling T-shirts and mugs, which led to an exchange of letters between the company and Mother Teresa's representatives. Um, on December 2005, the bun was stolen during a break-in at the coffee house. Wow. Surely they didn't eat it. That would have been that would have, that would have been sacrilege. Um, and, you know, Clayton talks about this notion uh, that when we start uh, believing and following after things of this sort, one of the dangers is that you can get locked into and associated with people who do not have noble motives and do not have your best interests in mind. So just be careful when these types of things occur and people attach significance to them which, personally, I feel is foolish and silly. It's almost as if it starts out as a joke and then it grows into something that people believe and it catches on, like the crops uh, uh, painting that they, they said they could make money off of, so let's make yeah. some more of them. It's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's people's gullibility. I believe. And if you throw it into the realm of the spiritual, people don't want to uh, contest it, don't want to act like it's something silly because then you are criticizing God because this is a message uh, from God. Now, the funny thing about that is you should and can test Scripture. You know, that, I mean, that he says that in Scripture. Absolutely. Test these spirits. You can figure that. You can question this stuff. He's, it's, it's laid there. I mean, that's, faith, a lot of people think faith is this blind leap. You know, I just have to, 
I just have to believe. Throw it out, yeah. yeah. Just throw myself out in the void. Yeah, that's not faith, so, right? Like no. Hebrews 11, 1 says, faith is the substance of things not seen. There's evidence. <clears throat> that evidence is for us found in Scripture. But sure. for the first century folks, I mean, they could reach out and touch them and see the miracles and stuff with their own eyes. But those are recorded for us in Scripture. And so I can go back and I can verify that stuff. If I wanted to, I could go back and I could verify the nun bun. You know, like... Yeah. I could see the the oven that it was cooked in and all that kind of stuff and know that there was nothing supernatural about that. It's yeah. a crazy coincidence that it, it bore some sort of a resemblance to her face. The Notre Dame Cathedral caught on fire uh, in uh, recently, probably within the last year, wasn't it? Yeah. year or two, something, something like, like that. that. Um, and a few observers claimed to see Jesus in the flames. Mm-hmm. Um, it... I won't. I won't be sarcastic. He could have put it out. <laughs> uh, examples in Islam as well. Um, so they have some other things. They they have a picture from above, a satellite photograph of the 2004 Asian tsunami, and uh, this was um, a picture of Allah supposedly in that, and it was taken as evidence by some Muslims that Allah had sent the tsunami uh, as punishment. So we can we can. We can read into and claim authenticity on a lot of things that can't be verified. Um, and so the one that, that was not mentioned in this article, which I thought was one of the biggies, uh, was the last one we'll talk about here, is um, Our Lady of Medjugorje um, over in uh, Bosnia. Is that where it was? Herzegovina, one of those places, uh, in 1981, six local children said they had seen visions of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Um, and it has become an, uh, an unapproved destination of Catholic pilgrimage. On the other hand, an awful lot of people are going there and considering it uh, a, a privilege. They say you can go if you want, but it, it's not just been established as, as a site. Um, Lady of uh, Medjugorje is the title given to the apparition by those who believe that Mary, mother of Jesus, has been appearing from uh, June 24th, 1981 until today to, I guess, those set to six children, now adults, in Medjugorje, then part of communist Yuga- Yugoslavia. Um, Queen of Peace, Mother of God, bless, Holy Blessed Virgin Mary are words the apparition has allegedly introduced herself with. Vision of um, Maria Lunetti uh, claims to receive uh, messages from the Virgin Mary on the 25th of every month. Apparently, she's maybe one of these six. Uh, another one reports receiving messages on the 2nd of the month. Commonly voted statue of the Virgin Mary of uh, Virgin of Medjugorje. Um, and here's here's how carried away people can get with something like this. Now, I don't I don't know if they had psychiatrists and psychologists interview these children to see what they had encountered, but I can guarantee you it was not the Virgin Mary. I don't know if they examined them or if these kids concocted the story and are still purporting that what happened to them is still happening to them. I'm not sure. But an awful lot of people believe 
that Mary appeared to these six kids. And why she would pick those six kids, I do not know. The messages attributed to uh, Lady of Medjugorje have strong following among Catholics worldwide. Medjugorje has become one of the most popular pilgrimage sites for Catholics in the world and has turned into Europe's third most important apparition site, where each year more than a million people visit. It has been estimated that 30 million pilgrims have come to Medjugorje since the reputed apparitions began in 1981. Many have reported visual phenomena themselves, including the sun spinning in the sky or changing color, and figures such as hearts and crosses around the sun. Some visitors have suffered eye damage <laughs> hmm. while seeking to experience such phenomena. <laughs> Man, it's bad. Jesuit Father Robert Pharisee has uh, written about his own experience of such phenomena, saying, Yes, I have seen rosaries which have changed color, and I have looked directly at the sun in Medjugorje, and I have seen it seem to spin and turn different colors. It would be easier to report that it is just hysteria, except that I would then have to accuse myself of being hysterical, which I am not, and I was not. Official position of the Catholic Church on August 21st, 1996, 15 years uh, after the first apparitions. Vatican Press Office um, declared that Catholics may still travel on pilgrimage to Medjugorje and that priests may accompany them. Um, however, he declared, you cannot say people cannot go there until it has been proven false. This has not been said, so anyone can go if they want. They had a Vatican commission that, that looked at it. Um, Pope Francis uh, remarked uh, the third, the core of the Ruini report, which was this thing, the spiritual fact, the pastoral fact. People go there and convert. People make that trip and have a spiritual um, experience and convert to, to believe while they are there. People who encounter God change their lives. But this, there's no magic wand there. And this spiritual and pastoral fact that they are conversions do take place there can't be ignored. We talked about our minds um, doing uh, remarkable things for us uh, last week. And then lastly, uh, on February 11, uh, 2017, Pope Francis appointed Archbishop Henrik Hoser uh, the Bishop of Praga as special envoy of the Holy See to Medjugorje. By the end of 2017, Hozier had announced that the Vatican's position, position was in favor of organizing pilgrimages. Today, di quote, today dioceses and other institutions can organize official pilgrimages. It's no longer a problem. Pope Francis recently asked an Albanian cardinal to give his blessing to the faithful at Medjugorje. I am full of admiration for the work of the, Fran the Franciscans are doing there. The Polish Archbishop reported with a relatively small team, there are only a dozen of them, they do a huge job of welcoming pilgrims. Every summer they organize a youth festival. This year there were 50,000 young people from around the world with more than 700 priests. He also cited the large numbers of confessions, adding there is a massive, numbers of con there are massive number of confessions. They have about 50 confessionals, which is not enough. This is a phenomenon, and what confirms the authenticity of the place is the large number of charitable institutions that exist around the sanctuary. And another aspect as well, the great effort that is being made at the level of, of Christian formation. 
Each year they organize conferences at different levels for various audiences, exemplifying priests, doctors, parents, young people, and couples. The degree, decree of the former Episcopal Conference of what used to be Yugoslavia, which, before the Balkan War, advised against pilgrimages in Medjugorje organized by bishops, is no longer relevant. So, I mentioned Nostradamus uh, last week, I believe, or the week before. Um, this, uh, I think, 15th century prognosticator of things that uh, supposedly have transpired over the centuries since then and are still transpiring. You don't hear about Nostradamus too much today. Uh, it was popular probably back in the late 90s, early 2000s, something like that, uh, when people rediscovered his his writings and decided to start assigning significance and uh, revelation of his uh, predictions about current things that were happening in the world. It's easy to do that after the fact. Um, where is it? What does it say uh, in the Bible? Test the prophet. The true test of a prophet yeah. is whether or not it actually comes yeah. true. If someone says such and such is going to happen, and and the, we don't have those too much nowadays, but when I was growing up, I used to see them on TV on on Johnny Carson all the time. They used to have, oh, I can't remember some of the names of those people, but they, these were people who supposedly each year would make predictions, and they would make hundreds of them, and then they would have them back at the end of the year, and they would be able to uh, highlight for you which ones they hit. And it was never more than one, two, or three, or something like that, out of the hundred predictions they made, which makes you wonder, okay, is that just luck? You know, if I throw out enough things, uh, something's going to hit the wall um, sooner or later. But the true test of a prophet is that when that prophecy is made, that prophecy eventually comes true. And in, in in the Bible... Some prophets prophecies were made that did not come true until Jesus came, long time before. All the rest of them, I believe, that concerned Israel occurred within a relatively short period of time, and that, that may not be able to be established, but, but that is the test of a prophet. The test of these types of natural, natural phenomenon, meaning something more than just happenstance, meaning something religious, meaning that God is sending us signals, I think is man's desire to live in an earlier time. God doesn't use miracles. There was a reason for miracles. In, in the New Testament and in the Old Testament. It was to confirm the words of those who were speaking and performing the miracles at the same time. Um, if God was going to use miracles, interruption of the natural order, like we're saying that he's doing here, then he should have given us a heads up that this was going to occur. Be looking for them. And I'd be looking for them if it said anywhere in there, be looking for them. And he didn't. And I don't. Right. Thank you. Uh, we'll look at uh, one other lesson next week and uh, then finish up this group of, of lessons uh, with demonology the, weekend af- the week after.
Thank you. See you guys Sunday. See you Sunday.